Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City, and I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, thanks for joining me for a new episode of Keep Them Coming. I am fully recovered from COVID, as you can tell from my voice. Um, I still have a little scratchiness, a little cough, but uh, yeah, I uh, that one kind of kicked my ass, so I had to take a few weeks off. Um, thank you so much for listening to the last few episodes. I've definitely seen a, a bump in my downloads. I've got some new listeners out there. So hello to everyone that might be new to keep them coming. I hope you enjoyed today's episode just as much as you've enjoyed the recent ones. So today I have a fellow sexologist, Casey Mile. She is a sex educator, researcher, and a coach. And she's got over 11 years of experience and has worked with a variety of individuals, couples, and families. She specializes in helping people understand pleasure before, during, and after pregnancy, which is why I had her on today, as you can tell by the show's title, because not having been someone who's experienced pregnancy or birth, um, yeah, I still have a lot to learn so I can help clients better myself. She works through a trauma-informed, sex-positive, and medically accurate approach to a variety of topics around mental and sexual health. As I said, Casey is a certified sex coach. She went through the same program I did with Sex Coach U under Dr. Patty Britton, but she is also a graduate from Widener University's Master of Human Sexuality Education program. I learned a lot from Casey today, and I know that you will as well. So whether you are trying to conceive, you are currently pregnant, or you just had a little one, there's some information in here for you. I'm always so happy to have a fellow sex coach you graduate on the show. In a few short weeks, I'll have another sex coach you grad and a returning guest, sex coach Christine. Christine D'Angelo and I tried to do a retreat in 2020, but you know, the world happened. So we are doing take two, and this time we're doing it in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico at an all-inclusive adults-only resort, and we are doing it the last week of April of 2023. This is all about relationship rejuvenation. So if you just feel like you've sort of lost your, uh, lost the excitement, you've lost the nuance, things have gotten a bit stale, maybe a little boring, maybe you really, really love each other, you're just kind of like, eh. We just, we just need something new in the relationship. This is going to be the couple's retreat for you. So you can go to rejuvenateintimacy.com for more information. Or if you follow me on socials, as always, go to the link in my bio and click on the link for the couple's intimacy retreat. This retreat is for all genders, all ages, all orientations, We don't care who you are or who you love, how long you've been together. We just want people who want something even better. That's, I think, the best way to put it. Uh, Shout out to my friend Cherie, who really made me start paying attention to saying that phrase even better. You don't have to be in a place where you think your relationship is on the verge of collapse or your relationship is terrible 
to benefit from something like this. You know, and in fact, we aren't really looking for the couples who are trying to save their relationship. We're looking more for the couples who are like, you know what? I love you. This has been great. I want to keep going, but it could be even better. So if that, if that speaks to you, I would love to see you in Puerto Vallarta next spring. So go to our website, fill out the information form. Let us know you're interested. Me and Christine will reach out to you, answer any questions that you have, and get you booked. We've got a limited number of spots, okay? We can't, we can't take like 40 or 50 couples with us, all right? So you do want to get that book soon. And we are taking reservations for folks no later than January. But most likely this is going to fill up by, you know, end of November, early December. We hope to see you there to help you, help you along that path of building an even better connection. Last thing before we jump into my interview with Casey, my latest column in the pitch was all about sex ed and how it cannot be ignored. Schools increasingly aren't doing anything to teach kids and that leaves you with overcoming all of your fears, overcoming all of the misinformation you were fed and I outline some ways to hopefully make that job a little bit easier for you. It is uh, in print and online at this time. I also want to thank everyone who voted for me for the pitch best of. I do not know the final results as of right now. I'm sure I did not win, but it was an honor to be nominated. I've never been nominated for the best of anything, uh, especially not under Open the Doors coaching or you know what I do as a sexologist. So I thank everyone who nominated me. I thank everyone who voted for me. Okay, thank you again for tuning in as always. Feel free to email me, Kristen at openthedoorscoaching.com if you have any questions or if you are interested in becoming a client. I've got a couple of uh, open spots now. I've graduated a few folks, so I am happy to help you if you are looking for some support at this time. Enjoy the episode. All right, on today's episode of Keep Them Coming, I want to welcome someone who has also been through the Sex Coach U program. Welcome, Casey Mile, who is a sex educator and pregnancy coach. Hi, Kristen, and hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I, of course, you know, found you through the groups and stuff like that, but um, you'd emailed me and just asked me some questions about being a coach. And I was really glad to connect with you because, you know, I'm, I come from a place of abundance. I think that there's a space for all of us at the table and we'll just keep building bigger tables if we need to. And I don't work a whole lot with those that are pregnant or trying to conceive. Um, I think it's a little bit, it takes a little bit of a specialty, I think. And, um, I don't think you have to have had kids or be pregnant to understand it. But again, I just think that that's a space that it has a bit of a specialty. So I appreciate you being in that space and also want to learn a little bit more from you today. I'm glad you're here so I can pick your brain. <laughs> Thank you. I am so excited to have this conversation. And yeah, I just saw your um, coaching information online. I just thought it was fabulous. And the people you were reaching out to, not just individuals looking for sex coaching, but really other coaches too. So I'm glad we have this opportunity for both of us kind of to talk it through and see maybe some similarities we see with clients or differences and 
Mm -hmm. I know we're also in a different geographic area. So I'm always interested in that, like, how does that play out for maybe our clients or who we talk to, even though we're kind of worldwide, right? Anyway, right. Virtual is so cool. Yes. The beauty of the internet is we can work with people all over the world. And so you're on the East coast, right? Yes, I am. Me being here in Kansas city and you know, you, you are a mom or anyone that goes to your social media can see you know, on your Instagram page, you've got pictures of your precious little one there. And you know, I'm, I'm sure that's what drew you to working with, uh, you know, being a pregnancy coach, but tell me a little bit more and tell the listeners a little bit more about your journey sort of into sex coaching and specifically into this area, working with both those that are pregnant and those that are trying to conceive and even postpartum. I assume. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. It's all connected. And interestingly enough, I actually was interested in this before becoming a mom. And of course it, after becoming a mom, I realized even more so the importance of it because I was like, wow, I thought this was important before and things used to anger me like maternal mortality or, Mm -hmm. you know, how pregnant people are treated and all of this stuff you know, Mm -hmm. being in the reproductive health space already angered me or maternity leave or lack thereof. Right. Right. I was already angry. And then I had my daughter and (laughs) I I was outraged. Like if there's a a word above that, Mm -hmm. I was like, this is such a vulnerable time. And to experience that physically, mentally, emotionally firsthand on top of already knowing what was happening for other people. It's giving me tears in my eyes talking about it, right? Um, I just can't believe our society treats people this way and doesn't have the support, the social support or the infrastructure to really uh, hold space for these important times before, during, after kids. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, so before I became a sex coach. I let's rewind probably Mm. back to high school. I'd say is where my journey began Uh (laughs) probably before that, but, uh, for the sake of time, high school, I really was focused on wanting to be a therapist or a psychologist. I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to learn more about how to answer people's questions and really tap into our emotions and at the time I thought, well, how can we prevent sadness or how can we prevent anger or these mm-hmm. sad things that happen to people, trauma? Because mm-hmm. I had seen it in my own family or I had seen it amongst friends. And I thought the answer to that was just learn how to avoid all of that, right? Yeah. Oh <laughs> and, yeah, it's um, so easy. Simple. <laughs> so simple. And then I learned more and matured and grew and life experience. And I realized, well, it's not so much about avoiding all of this, even thinking pregnancy prevention, right? That's Mm -hmm. in sex ed world, what we hear a lot about prevent STIs, prevent pregnancy, and you're all good. Yeah. But (laughs) when things things happen, happen. yeah. Yeah. Life happens. And so I began to transition my journey a little bit away from well, how do we just prevent all this stuff? Or how do we focus on the bad? How do we focus on the dysfunction? Like in psychology world, I love psychology, but a lot of it is focused on um, dysfunction and how to address that. And pathologizing things. Exactly. I mean, in in the therapy world, they they have to code everything for billing, right? Mm -hmm. So they have to Mm -hmm. diagnose. Even 
that's one thing about therapy that like, I, I, I'm a proponent of therapy. Everyone oh, should for probably sure. get some therapy, but we don't realize too, that from visit one, they've got to put something in there as a diagnosis to get it paid for. Like that's mm-hmm. just one more aspect of the medical, you know, industrial complex. It's fucked up. Exactly. <laughs> also, you right. can cuss like a sailor on this podcast. No worries. Oh, good. good. Say whatever you like. <laughs> Yeah, so the structure of that, um, also a big proponent of therapy, and I've done therapy a few times myself, and I refer clients, but the the part focused on negativity really kind of pushed me away from wanting to dive deeper into that. I wanted to learn more about pleasure. I wanted to learn more about how do we help people navigate these issues by tackling them head on, right? Instead of avoiding it, instead of preventing it, shit is happening. So how do we address it? And how do we cope with it? And that was a personal lesson I had learned myself and then also wanted to learn how to help other people. And so high school, wanting to uh, be a psychologist, I went into undergrad and I took a human sexuality class. It blew my mind. I just could not believe all of these things that I had never knew. And (laughs) never was going to know unless I was in this very specific class. Um, High school didn't teach me that. So I fell in love with it. And I was also an intern at the time for Planned Parenthood. And I learned a lot about sex education and working in the community. And I was also an intern turned into working there and case manager for adolescent mothers and their babies. Mm-hmm. And they really opened my mind to what was lacking or or what was needed, right? They needed somebody to go further than pregnancy prevention, obviously, because they had a baby at this point. Right. <laughs> and yeah, I like the joke because joke, but not joking. Um some people would look at them and there's such a stigma uh, against young parents, and people would say, Well, you know they can't have sex. And I'm like, well, how do you think they got pregnant? Like a teenager isn't going and getting IVF or IUI or anything that is planned pregnancy typically. Right. I don't, I don't know if that's a thing. Well, I mean, some like young churchgoers in this country, I mean, I'm in the Midwest, so I know plenty of people who get married right out of high school and get pregnant Mm -hmm. pretty quickly. Uh, I mean, there's definitely, I know plenty also who waited a while, you know, they wanted to enjoy their marriage together. They felt like they needed to grow up and whatever, all the reasons Mm -hmm. and and did Mm -hmm. delay pregnancy. But like, yeah, the very real reality is that one sex education in this country is, as you say, just about prevention of STIs and pregnancy, but they don't actually talk about how to use a condom. Uh, Most of them don't give the, the facts about all of the ways that you can prevent pregnancy outside of abstinence. They always, you know, abstinence is number one. Well, there's plenty of kids who either that message just is completely lost. They don't have access to birth control and they're still going to have sex. And our sex education programs aren't designed to actually address those kids. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, we can clearly look at states like Colorado that properly fund not only education, but healthcare and what their numbers have dropped two for teen pregnancies and STIs. So proof's in the pudding, right? (laughs) Proof's in the pudding. So Uh, in the meantime, 
you and I fill in the, that skills gap or that education gap for the adults that missed out on all that stuff, right? We do. And um, that's what made me want to go get my master's of education degree from Widener University and really learn exactly how do we teach this, right? How do we share resources? How do we uh, encourage our young people and others, adults too. I work with adults now, but at the time, young people to really learn about healthy relationships or including abstinence, but also uh, learning about condoms and <laughs> do you want more children? You know, mm -hmm. do, what do you want for your life? What is that family planning aspect yes. look like for you? Do we ever take the time to ask somebody <laughs> these questions, right? right? Yeah. Or do yeah. we assume somebody's life and are they happy with this or not happy? Because some young parents are fabulous parents and they can still be resilient and go on to have a great life. Mm -hmm. And for others, it does negatively impact them. But I think when we take a person-centered approach, that's really what's best. And being able to provide resources for people that can help improve their lives, not just shame add shame on top of everything else they're going through. Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely beautiful. I like the way that you put that about a person-centered approach. Yeah. And that's exactly what we do in coaching is trying mm -hmm. to figure out what does this individual that's right here in front of us really need at this moment? You know, mm -hmm. where are they presently and where do they want to go and how do we help them get there? Exactly. Yep. And that brings me to coaching today. So those were some of my past experiences. And I went to FCU, Sex Coach U, to become a coach and work one-on-one -on -one with people in addition to education work I've done or work in the reproductive health field. Um, in general, I've done curriculum for preterm birth and parents, families, uh, perinatal mental health, all things connected to mental and sexual health in some way. Uh, so I love it. I love this topic. I think everyone should know about it, <laughs> especially those who might be interested in family planning or might already have children or planning to have children. This topic could be so useful to people. Yeah, absolutely. So because of your extensive background, and I'm sure that you've done a lot of research about different people throughout history, and of course, being at Planned Parenthood, I had a conversation recently with someone about Margaret Sanger. I think it's really easy to just take her words or some of the things that she wrote. It's really easy, especially for the time period, to view it under the lens of eugenics. And I know that they took her name off the building in New York City, which was like part of them trying to reckon with stuff like that. But I also do wonder personally if some of the things that she said were simply so real at the time that they came across as that way, which it was things like, hey, if we can help black and brown women have fewer children, it helps their economic prospects. Because if we say that now, that's we're just quoting research. But in the context of that time, I can see how it came across as I just don't want black women to have more children. So mm -hmm. I'm just kind of curious with my take what, on that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. Well, I, my personal and professional belief is again, addressing these topics head on, right? That can be such an uncomfortable topic to even talk about because how do we take kind of the good with the bad, right? Mm -hmm. Because Planned Parenthood is even today, very useful for a lot of people, even yeah. 
black and brown families, individuals, et cetera. Um, and I think it's also true that what you said, that her work did come from a, a lens of eugenics and was also harmful to black and brown <laughs> individuals and families. So I, I would recognize that history and also the probably intent to do good and share birth control or contraception with um, people. And then how do we also look at it systemically and make sure that that was done in an equitable way and not just focused on certain target neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. um, Planned Parenthood now does something that I absolutely love. And maybe this is a link we could share with the mm -hmm. audience. Um, I can send it to you, but they have a history of Planned Parenthood, maybe you've seen it before, that includes that piece of Margaret Sanger. Mm -hmm. And it also includes other things, not Planned Parenthood specific, but it will bring up immigration. It will bring up a variety of cultures and ethnic and racial groups have experienced kind of as a holistic way of viewing the history. Mm -hmm. And it brings us up to current day too. So. I think that's kind of where I land is let's look at the whole picture and we can take some of the good things that were started with Margaret Singer and we can critique it as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then how do we move forward? How do we prevent some of this harm from continuing? And how do we make sure the best of the best is what continues on? That's kind of how I, I view it, I guess. Yeah. I, so in September for sexual health month, I was doing a purveyors of pleasure and I was kind of going through people. And I first thought about doing it as more of a heroes and villains of sexual pleasure. Um, but then I was like, but then there's so many people that it's so like, I can't call Margaret Sanger hero. I can't call her a villain either. She's that like very nuanced, as you say, sort of trying to take the good with the bad in some ways. History, I think, is going to be very different moving forward because having audio, having video, uh, you know, it's a very different world now in the way that we capture the essence of what people mean. Mm -hmm. So part of me does think that like there were some organizations out there that were going the wrong way. And, and yes, I've seen like, it looks like she actually had ties to those. So it is hard to say like she wasn't thinking that at all, but I think that overall, she was simply trying to help humanity and trying to help with our health. Now that motherfucker who was doing experiments on black women without anesthesia, he's probably burning in hell, despite all the, the good that came of that. Like he's in the bad place. He's in the bad place. What's his name again? Um, um, Sims. Sims. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. He's in the bad place. Yes. But I think if anything, Margaret Sanger's maybe in the medium place. I would hope so. And also, I don't know. Also, as I don't know, I guess as a white woman, I'd also be hesitant to put that judgment out there because I also wasn't one of the people impacted, right? So just intent versus impact. I don't know. Yes, I don't know. Yes. It's tricky. And that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Like, but that's all right that for us to have these conversations, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So thank you for uh, going a little off the cuff with me there from our, our topics that we'd originally planned on. I appreciate that. I think it's all related. Everything family planning, we don't dive into this enough. And a lot of it to me is just starting those conversations and talking through it, whether it's with partners or 
um, even self-reflection, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so, absolutely. So you know that I'm glad that you brought that up because um, we haven't really shared with each other, like our ages or stages where we're at in life, but I am, as my listeners may know, I'm 41. I'm about to get married for the third time. Uh, my history with pregnancy is I had one miscarriage in 2009. I was about six and a half weeks along. It's my first marriage. Um, never did try to conceive in the second marriage, never got pregnant. And with my third partner, we are not having children. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was sort of during that time between my second marriage and having this partnership that I realized that I hadn't really asked myself some of those hard questions about family planning and what I really wanted. And it was during that time that I figured out that a lot of my drive and desire for kids was more related to societal expectations and just hopes, dreams, and things that were, you know, funneled in from other people's words. And I thought my parents would make really good grandparents, but none of those things were actually enough for me, you know, in my late thirties to be like, I need to have a kid. Cause you know, I know, I know there's plenty of people out there who do, and they go through the steps of either. Cause I was asked about freezing my eggs. I was asked about if I would one day need to do IVF or what if I found a partner that wanted kids and all that stuff. So, and now here I am actually scheduled my hysterectomy on November 30th. Ah, first of all, I'm very sorry for for your loss, but uh, congratulations on hysterectomy and your choice to thank you be child free. <laughs> thank you. I yeah. I've had I've had a uh, pain for a long time. I kind of realized lately it's been about 20 years that I've been trying to get something out of the medical medical community for treatment, and really, I think it just comes down to I have endometriosis, which um. A lot of people don't realize that can't be diagnosed unless you do exploratory surgery. Hmm. There's no blood test. There's no, there's, it's more of a guesstimate, like, ah, you're displaying all the symptoms or most likely it is that, but yeah, unless they actually do like exploratory laparoscopic surgery and look around, there's no official diagnosis of endometriosis. So so scary to me. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that I'm, I'm thinking, I wonder if gender impacts that, right? Like what if a a cisgender, and this is just a question. (laughs) I don't know. Oh, I know exactly. Cisgender men had this issue. Would we have a better solution for that? I think my guess would be Let's let's go ahead and have that conversation (laughs) before we get to talk about the trying to conceive couples. No, for real. Almost every single person has been like, yeah, if this was a man experiencing this, you know, that they'd have some sort of a test for it. They would have figured this out by now. Wow. 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 Yeah. Don't get me started on (laughs) what they do for vasectomies and uh, local anesthetic or even general (laughs) anesthetic versus what we get for IUD insertion, which is nothing. 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 Yeah. I had someone this morning talking about an IED and how the nurse was like, oh, it's not that painful. And she was like, bitch, are you kidding me? Like, and I looked at her, I go, that person's obviously never had one because when I posted about it on TikTok, 
that was the most comments I think I've ever had on a video where every person who's ever had an IUD was talking about that it was like 10 out of 10 worst pain ever. I've never had an IUD, but I've had other even sex educators ask me, oh, would you consider that as your method? I'm like, you know, I think it's a great option. Hence the word option. <laughs> me personally, I wouldn't go for that option. I've had a cervix check during pregnancy and it was the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. And I mm -hmm. rank it above a 10. You know, if it's 10 out of 10, it was above that. Mm -hmm. So the thought of having it inserted then, I, I think that there's a good chance there could be some pain there. I have seen a handful of people, content creators, especially on TikTok, say that they have found a medical provider, a female medical provider that will put them under general anesthesia for it or do local anesthesia for it at minimum. And that's necessary. Like, I I cannot say enough. If you are a medical provider out there listening to this and you insert IUDs, and you don't provide some sort of anesthetic, um, you're a sadist, you're a fucking sadist. So um, yeah, change that shit. <sighs> but, you know, speaking of, as you say, like everyone deserves the proper medical information and all of the, the possible ways to prevent pregnancy if they're looking to prevent it. And then they also deserve all the information about what life is going to be like when they're trying to conceive. And I think that's also something that a lot of people don't talk about. Not everyone has the luxury of getting off of birth control or simply not being on birth control, just getting pregnant as soon as they want to. Mm -hmm. Some people have to go through a process. So I would love to talk about that a little bit more today. I would love to talk about it. Let's dive into it. So I've definitely talked to people when they're starting to get into the, the point of trying to conceive and it sort of shocked me how quickly things can turn from, yeah, yeah, we're trying to make a baby to like, I'm fucking tired of this shit. Mm -hmm. There's something that just like switches. So mm -hmm. like, tell me a little bit more about what you've seen as some of the unique challenges that face the, we'll call it the TTC, the trying to conceive couple. Yeah, I think the first thing is, like you said, a, a lack of knowledge, one. Um, even the kind of lack of education around what does it take to become pregnant is something I see a lot. And that's always something I'll, I'll bring up, right? The importance of preconception care. Even before trying to conceive or TTC, <laughs> we need to be having a conversation. If there's even an inkling in your mind that you're like, hmm, I think I might want to have a child, you don't even have to be set on it yet. <laughs> but if you're thinking about it, I would say, start that conversation. Um, you could even go to an OBGYN or a medical provider, an endocrinologist who could test hormones. You could talk with a sex coach or educator, even mm -hmm. a partner, family, friends, having the conversation of, hmm, what does it take to get pregnant? How, do, how does that even work? And down to the basic biology or physiology of what is going to happen in the body, if that's the type of pregnancy you're seeking, right? Of course, people use other options yeah. like surrogates or, mm -hmm. you know, um, but talking about physically somebody who wants to carry a baby in your body, a lot of people, a myth is that 
boom, you have sex or intercourse, sperm goes into, <laughs> uh, up the cervix, into the uterus, meets the egg, and it, it's going to happen that quickly. Um, some people aren't aware about what ovulation even is. Some people mm -hmm. don't even know what a cervix or a uterus is, right? These are big words for some people. And I don't like to assume that yeah. people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I mean, because not only is there such a lack of sex education for most of them, when we got sex education, it, the third, the fourth or fifth grade sex ed wasn't really that it was just about body parts and they separated mm -hmm. us and they didn't teach us about the other one. Mm -mm. So yeah. Oh, and trust me, I've had, I've had 30 plus somethings who did not know how pregnancy worked. And I wasn't, I mean, I was a little bit like, Oh, okay. Uh, we're just going to back up here. And right. We'll, we'll right. go through all of this. Here's Okay. Egg, sperm. Know how that happens? I'm like, uh-uh. I'm like, cool. Now I know where to start. <laughs> Let's start there. Yeah, we'll start there. Right. We, we can't make assumptions yeah. on this stuff. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And, and then even uh, thinking about unplanned pregnancy versus planned pregnancy, right? Mm -hmm. For some people, pregnancy does just seem to happen. And then we see people around us where that is the case. I mean, I know for me, a lot of people even in high school, right? High school, people would pop up pregnant. And <laughs> that's kind of what I saw. And then uh, family members or it, just in general, people in the world, I thought, oh, pregnancy just happens, of course, before becoming a sex educator. But then we learned, hmm, there is actually a window of time that is the most likely time uh, for the sperm to meet the egg. And then I also learned it's not only that that needs to happen, but all of these other things in the body to even have a, I don't know that like the word successful because it makes me feel cringy because I have had a loss and miscarriage myself. And it's like, well, if that didn't work, then did I fail? No, that's not the case, right? We'll just say, we'll just say make it happen but, because happening is just being, right? Exactly. There's a lot of things that come together, just make it happen. Yes. And that happen and to create a, let's say, pregnancy and baby that comes into the world. <laughs> so much stuff. Um, so even just starting there uh, as a conversation, do we know that? Do we plan for that? And then once somebody is trying to conceive, are you, are you trying a certain plan? Are you just winging it? Because mm -hmm. um, both can work right? Yeah. <laughs> Winging it can work for some people and you can become pregnant in a time frame that's not stressful to you. And for others, like this is the scenario you described, you start maybe winging it and kind of planning it, kind of like going for it. And then you're like, wait, it's been how many months now? Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not pregnant. And then there can be so much pressure on a couple or a person to feel like you're not in control. Um, yes. right. I, I think it comes to a place of not only then lack of knowledge, cause you might've learned by then <laughs> what you're doing, um, mm -hmm. but then a place of lack of control, because we realize that so much more things can, can happen. Or we start trying to plan around ovulation. We might, for me personally, I was somebody who in the beginning, I was just having sex at first. I'm like, you know, I know that there's a, a day <laughs> where I ovulate, but we'll just try it. Didn't work. Then I'm like, okay, let me buy, uh, they make ovulation kits that you can mm -hmm. pee on and then mm -hmm. tell you, oh, 
this is the best time to become pregnant and have intercourse and have that sperm eat the egg. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to track that. And I would start tracking that and I'd go to my husband and I would say, okay, now's the day. Like we have to do it, you know, tonight. Mm-hmm. And then that didn't work that month. And then I'm like, oh, this is a lot of pressure. This is a lot of pressure because then how do you uh, keep doing that? It kind of takes a little bit of, of the magic away from sex. <laughs> it yeah. becomes more about making a baby, uh, which can be a beautiful thing, but the stress of this not happening. And this is something I want so, so bad. Right. And that's exactly what I've seen with couples is the, the task oriented nature, the Mm -hmm. win loss, you know, the feeling of failure. If you don't, you know, if you're not successful, as you say, like putting it into those, those terms. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I, what I will say is that I have seen more of the, the male clients who are, you know, trying to help <laughs> conceive and hearing the, like, I am so sick of only having sex when she's ovulating or only mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of like, we're saving up all of this energy for when the time is right. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely an area that I tried to help clients focus on, like we've got to spread sex out throughout the month. Like, yes, there's optimum times, but Mm -hmm. to just jam pack everything in during that week, it starts to make you feel like you're a workhorse. You're just there for one thing. If you're for sure, (laughs) so, and again, as you say, just removes the magic and the the magic is why you're there really in the first place. Right. Mm -hmm. So what are some of your favorite techniques or, you know, action plans, whatever it may be, however you call it homework, uh, for Mm -hmm. getting couples to stop being so focused on the task and to get them back into that, like that wonderful connection that -hmm. brought them together in the first place. Well, you just said one of my favorite ones, which is spread it out throughout the month. Right. And that doesn't mean you have to stop the other things. Some people do choose to stop all the tracking at some point, right? You might, if that helps you de-stress by stopping the tracking altogether, do it. Um, Because lower stress can actually help your cause, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, So becoming in a better place mentally, physically, you can take, take that focus onto maybe taking care of your body, Uh, making sure you're eating nutritious foods, drinking water, uh, reconnecting with yourself, uh, self-care, like reading a book if you want to, meditating, Mm -hmm. whatever your thing is. um, Just make sure to return back to a a more holistic view of what your life even is, right? What is pleasure to you outside of this thing that that you want? Not Mm -hmm. to say you have to take it off you know, as as something completely that you're never, that's never going to happen, but just um, refocusing on what the bigger picture is for you and your partner and for your partner to do the same thing, right? Make sure they're taking care of their health as well. Um, The spacing out throughout the month, you could have intercourse or sex every other day. You can have it every couple of days and you can still get pregnant that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it does not have to be that specific ovulation day. It could be yeah. um, within a window. Uh, so making yourself know that you can take some of that pressure off 
And then if it still doesn't work, there's other options, right? So you can speak to other medical professionals who can screen you for um, infertility or they can test your hormones or um, see is it um, because of a low sperm count or is it because you're not ovulating or is it because um, there's some other mm -hmm. medical issue that, mm -hmm. that can be addressed? Yeah. Um, so lots of different options, but just the number one thing I think is taking that pressure off because it's, <laughs> it can become a very negative cycle that's not going to be ideal for your goal. Yes. There's lots of ways to take the pressure off, but whatever that may be from couple to couple, it's got to happen because it has to, <laughs> yeah, because it's, it, it doesn't just get alleviated once you're pregnant. It ha I feel like it needs to have some alleviation before the pregnancy happens because otherwise it, it, I think can, I think it can build up a little bit of a resentment for some mm -hmm. couples. So others are just like, okay, it's done. And they go back to, you know, normal, normal, quote unquote, they go back to their chill zone, but others it's like, okay, she's pregnant, but now, you know, he's still pissed. So mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that it is best to try to alleviate that pressure before you get to that point. If, if you can do so. Um, I do want to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to, um, pick back up talking about, you know, maybe some of your favorite resources for those couples that are trying to conceive and a few more topics that we can fit in before the end. Great. It's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute, so stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. We are back from the break, but I also thought of one lingering question that I had there. Um, I've often had people ask me, you know, if they are trying to conceive and they're not successful, how long should they wait before they start maybe having some testing done, whether that's having, you know, fertility checked, all that stuff. Yeah, I would say you can technically ask a medical provider at any time that you're concerned, right? Um, I, didn't so I'd encourage get, that. I didn't know if they'd get turned away. Like, oh, you've only been trying for like three months. Like, I just didn't know if provide People do. Mm, okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. People definitely do get turned mm -hmm. away, which I don't personally agree with. Um, but Right. Um, if I'm paying the bill, just let me do the test. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I personally would rather, you know, have an open conversation and have those questions mm -hmm. answered, but you're more likely to have those questions answered if it sometimes depends on age. Right. Um, and it can depend on pregnancy history as well for somebody who it's maybe their first pregnancy and they're under usually like 35 or 30, some providers will have a different cutoff. Um, but let's say 35 and it's your first pregnancy, they'll typically say after a year of trying um, okay. with no intervention, then you can get tested for infertility. Um, for somebody who is over 35 or over 40 um, or has had a, a prior loss, and sometimes it has to be multiple um, pregnancy losses, then sometimes they'll lower it to six months is just very general numbers. But um, for sure, ask at any time because it's going to vary 
based on who you ask and you might have to get second opinions or find somebody who's really going to help you uh, dive deep into <laughs> what you need. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Cause like, I, I personally have no clue. So good to know. Mm-hmm. All right. So you know, one of the things that we do as coaches is connect people to various resources. Cause we have a lot of the answers, but we don't have all the answers. So um, I don't have a lot of knowledge about some of the resources to kind of guide people to right now about this topic. Cause again, I just, mm-hmm. this isn't something that a lot of people have come to me for. It's just been some here and there, some offhanded things, or even just like at networking events, people are asking questions. So, um, I'm curious what you have found out there and what are some of your top resources, whether that's books or podcasts, YouTube channels, any of that stuff. Yeah, I love, love, love resources. And <laughs> I have a, a resource list if anyone wants the, the full thing, but I'm going to um, break down some of my favorite ones. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is a book. It is called, Why Did No One Tell Me This? The Doula's Honest Guide for Expectant Parents. And that's by Natalia um, Haley's and Ash Spivak. Um, and it's written in a way to be a, I guess, pregnancy info book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what you call them, <laughs> mm-hmm. but at, what you would think of like, oh, okay, I get pregnant and um, maybe like what to expect when you're expecting mm-hmm. is something you might've heard of before. And, right. you know, anything on the shelf. Um, but this book is written in a way that's designed to be inclusive. It's very kind of short and bulleted to the point, which I like because for those who are either trying to conceive or pregnant or postpartum, um, I I find that short, sweet is better in a way because so much information, once you say you're pregnant, everyone throws information at you. You should do this. You should, or even if you let yeah. them know you're trying to conceive, right? Yeah. It's going to be like, well, did you try this? Did you do that? All the unsolicited advice. Um, so that's why I lean towards this of like, okay, bullet point, tell me what I need to know mm-hmm. <laughs> quick. Short, um, and plus our attention spans are short, short these and days and like, I don't know what to expect when you're expecting. I've not heard, I've heard it hasn't really held up well through the years. Like it's, it's not aged well. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Don't get me wrong. I've read it. I, <laughs> I've, I've referred to it, but mm-hmm. um, there is some outdated information. And then when it comes to sex and how it relates to this topic, right. A lot of times what you'll find in general books is that it only says one little sentence and that sentence is usually the same in every book. I've, I've done like screenings through these and it's mm-hmm. usually, well, after you have a baby, after you give birth, then wait six weeks until resuming sex or intercourse. And I'm like, wait, what about all the other stuff? Like, <laughs> what about what we're talking about of, well, if trying to conceive isn't going well for you, then what do you do? Or mm-hmm. what if you're pregnant and your partner is scared to have sex with you because they might hurt the baby? Who answers those type of questions, right? <laughs> so yeah. that's not to say that's all in this book. Why didn't no one tell me this? But there is um, a little bit more there that you might find helpful. Um, they do touch on um, sex and they answer it in question form, um, some common questions that people oh. might have. Cool. Another resource that I love is um, geared probably more towards postpartum, but I would say start reading it 
now, <laughs> whenever, mm-hmm. <laughs> is And Baby Makes Three, mm-hmm. the six-step plan for preserving marital intimacy and rekindling romance after baby arrives. And this is by um, John Gottman, who I just absolutely oh, love for mm-hmm. other reasons. Yes, I talk about the <laughs> Gottman Institute a lot on my podcast and in social media. Um, I, I refer to the Gottman 13 often as those 13 things that all couples do who have an amazing sex life. And it doesn't matter if you've got kids or not, those 13 things still apply, but I, I really like the Gottman Institute a lot. Yes. I love that. I love that. Yes. This one is specifically tailored right to, um, those who are going to be going through this, (laughs) all this stuff. And it, it talks about communication. It talks about like rekindling passion and all of the things, right. In the context of specifically what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this stuff, communication, right. That applies to trying to conceive and pregnancy as well. So that's why I say, even though it might be marketed towards more after kids, I definitely think it, it applies throughout, throughout the stages. (laughs) Very cool. Yeah. And, um, I guess another one I'll, I'll just say quickly again, there's tons of them. I'd love to share them all, or if anyone has specifics they're looking for, but this one is more geared towards professionals. So any professionals listening Mm -hmm. or anybody who's not a professional in this field, but really likes more the research style writing, like Mm -hmm. you might be just a geek about this topic and and love it and really want to dive in and learn more. It's by um, Stephanie Bueller, and it's counseling couples before, during, and after pregnancy. Um, So it will give you research-based, evidence-based facts on trying to conceive um, sex during pregnancy and after. Um, Really awesome book. Okay, very good. Very good. Well, in your resource list brought up two more questions for me, <laughs> um, but thank you for those. Thank you for those. Absolutely. That period after baby, when so many people are kind of in the, you know, I'm trying to, especially after their first baby, they're trying to reconcile this new headspace of being a parent and still being a partner, still being a sexual being. and what I talk about often comes up much later when it's, you know, you've had kids for a few years and you're still neglecting your sexual relationship and trying to get people to understand that, like, if you don't make your relationship, your partnership, a priority, and part of that is sex, you're not going to be parents together or a couple together for much longer. And the whole point of you having this family and starting all this beautiful stuff is just going to be gone. Like you can't neglect your relationship just because you are now parents. For sure. I would rather catch people when they're, you know, new parents and we're trying to get them to, okay, your postpartum period is you are healed up. You are good to go. I would rather catch them then than years later when they still are like, oh, it's been like eight years since we had a kid and we still just don't really uh, connect much. Like, exactly. <laughs> let's talk about how to help that postpartum you know, couple. doesn't matter their yeah. gender, their orientation, any of that stuff, because people who can give birth <laughs> and their partners all go through this stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. although the orgasm gap is way less on the, the lesbian couples anyway, 
Right. <laughs> Let's talk about some of those techniques to and and things that you do to encourage couples to not wait very long before they start to reconnect. Yes. Yes. So here's where, if you don't mind, I'll insert a little personal anecdote sure. and I'll give other examples, right? Please do. Um, so I'm going to say two kind of versions, and I think it's really going to depend on who you are as a partnership. Mm-hmm. Because one version is, yes, you need to rekindle, you need to um, spark the passion back, you need to make sure you're not neglecting your relationship. And that I'm going to say that is true for both of these, but (laughs) sometimes how new parents perceive that is adding pressure on an already stressful situation, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I know that that's how I began to feel with my parents or my daughter's grandparents. They would say, you need to go out on a date night. Let us watch the baby. Go out on a date night. And I'm like, two, three weeks postpartum, still bleeding, like want to lay in bed, sore. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, date night is not my priority right now (laughs) right right yeah and so like so how soon is too soon to kind of maybe quiet is a priority (laughs) maybe like stillness (laughs) yeah yeah maybe like help us with a meal so we have time to eat and chat with each other right Mm -hmm, maybe mm -hmm. that's what intimacy looks like right now yeah um So I say that to say there is some grace in this period or allow yourself some, some grace, some time to understand that this is a likely a stage, um, in the relationship, in the partnership, right? It it doesn't have to be like this forever, unless you're going to like have babies back to back to back forever. That might be a thing. I haven't personally worked with those, um, those couples, um, no shame there, but, um, there might be a different situation, but for, for most, I would say, eventually you're going to be out of that postpartum phase. You're going to be out of the new baby phase. Your baby will sleep eventually, even though even myself tonight, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, it was a terrible night for my daughter's sleep already. It's, you know, (laughs) not even late in the night here. Um, so it, it can feel daunting in those moments. What I would say to those couples are, find practical ways, right? It does not have to be jumping to thinking about sex as in intercourse, penis and vagina, toys and vagina right, right. <laughs> um, things, because there is also the recommendation, I, I said it as a joke earlier, this six week mark, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is typically what is said, wait until six, six weeks. And some people do, and some people don't. The reason for it is that the body is still healing six mm-hmm. weeks postpartum. That that's really the best reason <laughs> I would say yeah, for it yeah. is um, you might have stitches or you might have um, bleeding or you might have even just soreness. Your muscles, your body is just created another <laughs> human being. Right. Um, yeah. You have a dinner plate wound um, in the uterus of where the placenta was and detached. So all of this stuff takes a very long time to heal. Outside of that, also there's a bunch of emotional things going on. So keeping mm-hmm. all of that in mind, practical intimacy might look like sharing a meal together. It might be chatting with each other for five minutes that day about something other than baby. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It might be cuddling naked with each other because you might not have 
feel like you have time for sex, but you're going to hopefully lay down for a few minutes at some point in the day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, even if it's not a full night's sleep, you're going to need rest. So maybe you rest naked with each other. Maybe you cuddle, maybe you give each other a hug. Um, maybe it's thinking of love languages, like acts of service, right? And um, maybe the partner who did not give birth, maybe they're helping with other tasks related things in the house. Um, maybe that's cleaning or changing baby's diaper or allowing you time for rest and taking baby for a little bit. Uh, just this general teamwork can be so, so sexy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Teamwork sexy. is sexy. I remember that was the most shocking thing to me after giving birth to my daughter. And people would ask me, what surprised you most? And I think they expected me to say something related to birth or the baby, but I was like, no, the most surprising thing to me was that I fell deeper in love with my husband in a way I had no idea was possible. And there was this passion <laughs> spark. It sounds so cheesy when I'm thinking about it, but Actually, sex was better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sex was better after baby, and not in a physical way, in a um, like really connected way. And I love saying that because I think we also hear a lot of doom and gloom. If we hear anything at all, it's yeah. like, oh, you're gonna have a baby, and like your sex life's gonna be terrible. <laughs> you're never gonna sleep again. <laughs> Thank you but for saying that. Thank you for saying that because I think that that's that is where a lot of society's mindset goes to is that, Oh, your life's over. Your sex life's going to be destroyed. And I, that does not have to be true. And a lot of the couples that I hear a similar thing from like that, that drawing in that being able to like really just get even closer in a different way and feeling so much more sexually connected that, you know, psycho-spiritual connection was deepened. And they're almost afraid to say out loud, like they'll say it to me because of what I do. They'll be like, you know, sex has been even better since we started our family. It's like they're afraid to say, say it out loud to other people because all they hear from everyone else is like, oh, my fucking sex life sucks. No. Right. It doesn't have to be that way. Nope. Nope. And that teamwork aspect, that is, a, I think, a key component of it. When there's a lack of teamwork, that is when I hear that things are spiraling and exactly not you going the support. way they want. You need support in general. And that's not just from, you know, your partner that's from, you need a village. People say that, but it's so, so true. And when there's a lack of village or a lack of support, even just, you know, in the very beginning, I said, <laughs> uh, you know, things that make me mad, like maternity leave, right. Mm -hmm. Or lack thereof. Things like that are going to impact your sex life in ways you don't think about, or you might not consciously think that, but when you're stressed over finances or that your baby's not sleeping or how you're going to get your baby's next meal or your next meal, sex is going to be the last thing on your mind, right? So yeah. we need those other factors to be there in order to have that great pleasurable <laughs> sex life, yeah. um, trying to conceive pregnant and post baby. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's probably going to take people like us in our industry fighting for things like paid family leave. Like we, we cannot go on in this society, the United States without something like paid family leave. We just can't do it. Mm -hmm. We cannot be expected to build 
family successfully for the vast majority of people. If we don't have things like we need other things too, we need better healthcare, right? Pay right. family leave. <laughs> like for God's sakes, parents deserve to be able to have children and have time with those children and not have to worry about getting back to work when they're still breastfeeding or they're still healing or mm -hmm. they're still trying to bond. And yes, we could go on and on about the differences, um, here societally and what needs to change. But with that one last question that I have for you, and then we can get on to the, ask me anything section. I don't come across it often. It's been more for my friends rather than my clients, but mm -hmm. I've definitely, I have a friend in particular that I remember her being like, he won't touch me if I'm pregnant. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why, what, why? She's like, he just won't. I've, I've tried. I've given up because they run multiple kids at that point. Don't want to give them away. Uh, but I, I, I didn't have anything for her. I didn't know what to tell her. Um, I, that was the first time I was like, I'm sorry, girl. I'm kind of at a loss. She's like, eh, I'm seven months along and I don't fucking care at this point anyway, but they got right back into it afterwards. But I wished I'd had a better answer for her while she was pregnant. Cause she was horny as fuck and wanted to have sex and couldn't convince her husband to come near her. So oh, that what, is so tough. <laughs> yeah. Like what are some of the, what are some of the things that you might recommend to try to encourage, encourage conversation or to dispel some myths, whatever it may be. Yeah. Oh, I want to take a breath just hearing that because <laughs> I know, right? I'm, I'm like, like her boobs were huge, man. Why were you not in there motorboating those? Like why? Like even toy play, if he's afraid of the penis, it, which is a complete fallacy, gentlemen. If you're worried about your dick hitting the baby, like it's not what's going to happen. It's in a completely different like part of the body than your penis isn't like not completely different, but obviously there's a, there's a hallway between the two fellas. I don't know if it was just that he didn't enjoy her body in that, that phase. Like, I don't know what it was, but there have I had no been studies on this actually, which I find both fascinating and really, really sad at the same time, because partners, um, shared reasons why they were scared to engage in sex or not just scared, but just maybe hesitant or whatever mm -hmm. that feeling or, is, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever barrier they were facing. Mm -hmm. Um, part of it was not feeling attracted to their partner which I think is also on the other side of fear, right? For the person who becomes pregnant, a lot of times you're fearful that that will happen because you're like, well, I'm not used to my body changing or, um, you know, you might not like your boobs feeling like <laughs> they're huge. I, mm -hmm. I don't know, right? There's all these different things, factors, but that's one other things included, like you just debunked the myth, thank you, of hurting the baby mm -hmm. um your penis is not going to get to the baby it's just no nope. <laughs> not 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 possible not gonna happen yeah <laughs> um and other things people have said are just feeling generally uncomfortable like maybe you feel like you can't go as hard as you used to like you might have to do different positions which turn you off or it's just different in general thinking about um a baby being in this human being now. And, um, with that, uh, one thing I'll bring up sometimes is the Madonna horror complex and how yes. people struggle to view mothers as both sexual beings and 
a great mother, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like, mm-hmm. yep. Um, so there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things. But what I would say is that partner really needs to probably have a reality check. <laughs> um, they need somebody telling them like, no, that that's not true. Um, debunking some of those things. And then I think uh, on both parts, some acceptance can help right? I think sometimes when we try to avoid it or act like it's not happening, it can make it worse. Like just throw it out on the table. Like for some people, pregnancy sex is the best sex they'll ever have in their life. And for others, it might be terrible or not enjoyable or at best like mediocre. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And again, it's, it's a stage, it's a phase. Pregnancy does not last forever. Um, So even if um, it's not going well right now there are things you can try differently um maybe add some lube or try a new position or try something new that turns you on like maybe you didn't used to be into watching porn while having sex but maybe that's what you need to get going like whatever Mm -hmm. you can be creative it doesn't have to be what you used to do and I think that applies to not even just parents right I think uh clients I've seen get caught in this idea that how you had sex or self-pleasured one way has to be the same throughout your life. And we know that's not true, right? People are on their own spectrum in this vast universe of sexuality. Yes. yes. <laughs> so all of those things, I, I don't know, we could go on forever about it, but those are just some of the things that pops up for me. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. I'll have to send this to her <laughs> and then be like, if you're planning on having another one, <laughs> I need you two to go see this gal, talk to her or try some of these things first. Right. So this has been very, very informative for me. I'm sure the listeners are going to pick up a lot of stuff too. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that also brings us to our last segment, which is ask coach Kristen, anything, which again is your chance to either ask me something for yourself, ask for a friend, or just give my opinion on something that maybe you've discussed with clients or friends or something that you want to maybe just have a second opinion on? Sure. I would love to know um, more about this post-baby phase, right? You mentioned working with those clients who maybe have older children uh, that might have struggles still having sex. I would just love to hear more about that and maybe what are some solutions even past that initial very postpartum phase, (laughs) right? What are some things you would tell people of how can they reconnect? How can they have great sex life? Uh, What do you do if then you're having desire differences? Like all of these things that might come up for somebody who is a parent, how would you address that? Or what what are some things that you've seen? Sure. I, you know, being here in the Midwest, I think that there's a little bit, the Madonna whore complex that you talked about this whole, um, a friend of mine called it, excuse me. A friend of mine called it the patriarchal mother syndrome, where it's like my mom had sex to reproduce. And I don't want to think of my mother as a sexual being, you know, la la la, that's gross kind of mindset. Um, I think there's a bit of that sometimes playing into it, but other times it's the, they wanted to do something, but they just never kind of got started. Now, sometimes it's things like their kid is still consistently sleeping in their bed. 
you know, that they've always co-slept and the co-sleeping has never stopped. That's been a, a big one for a few mm. of my clients, um, which, hey, no, no shade. If co-sleeping is your thing, like that's fine, but there's obviously trade-offs, right? And sometimes that trade-off is your sex life, especially if you are not prioritizing your sex life occurring anywhere besides your bedroom and when you're going to bed at night or when you're waking up in the morning. Yep. Right. That, that those two times and that location, you're, you're knocking out your, your prime times and your prime location. If co-sleeping is your thing. So in that case, it's okay. Well, you want to have sex. When else can you do it? You both work from home now, kids in school. Now you've got all day. Mm-hmm. Think outside of the box, you know, and maybe it is going to take that date night. You're going to have to consistently plan for your kid to be, you know, having a slumber party or at the grandparents or at the neighbor, whatever, whatever safe space, you know, you trust them to be in while you are prioritizing date night, sex life, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, that's the big one that I run into is the long-term co-sleeping. Um, whether it's that they're three years old, they're eight years old, doesn't matter. The the co-sleeping can be a big one to get in people's way. I would um, love to comment on that quickly yeah. um, because it's hilarious that I met with a mom today. Uh, we took a walk in the park just to meet up and chat, which can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and she shared with me, she said, you know, my husband does not let me sleep with the, or does not let our children sleep in the bed with us. We're not allowed to sleep like with the children. He said, that's where I draw the line. (laughs) And she said, my daughter is six years old. And last night was the first time we had a sleepover in her room. And now that I'm thinking about it, my husband did the same thing. It was like co-sleeping, not going to be a thing in our house. So I wonder, you know, that's a great point of, it can be a pro, you know, a positive, when it comes to your sex life, I think having that extra space uh, is Absolutely. really key. Absolutely. Because it's still, I think that that, if your choice is co-sleeping again, it's totally your choice. It's cool. But when you don't co-sleep, I think that that is just one of the ways that a couple can try to make sure that there's sort of that, that sacred space. You know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter if your sacred space is your bedroom or it's somewhere else, but you have to have a space that is for you somehow, mm-hmm. some way, shape or form. If you are co-sleeping, maybe think outside of the box because no co-sleeping shaming, right? Like you said, it's totally cool, but maybe then showers together. <laughs> like I, maybe that's going to have to be your thing or yeah, on top I, of the washer or dryer. I don't know, you know. I had a couple that had a spare room, but that's where they would, would go. Mm-hmm. So you ha- I think that the point is you have to commit to the workarounds. You have to commit to the prioritization. Um, and you've got to be on the same page. You've got to work together as a team to figure it out. Because if you just wait until it just sort of happens or you're just, I'm a big fan of scheduling sex. Me too. People hate when I say it. I don't I know. know if they I have know. a similar like, reaction. Oh, <laughs> scheduling sex. Okay. But hear us out. Scheduling sex doesn't necessarily have to be a calendar date on your Google calendar that you share. It doesn't have to be written on the calendar on the fridge. It can be that mental note of, we always have Thursday nights together. We've Mm -hmm. always got Sunday mornings that at minimum, you're committed to that one night a week, one night every other week, whatever it may be. And that when you prioritize that night, 
you're more likely to have sex within 24 hours of that time that you set aside because you may go like, uh, actually, I know we had our date night tonight, but something's come up. Can we have sex now? Or, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm really tired. Rain check. Can we do it in the morning? You're more mm-hmm. likely to try to have some form of intimacy close to that time that you set aside. than if you try to leave it to chance or try to make it feel organic, or you want to feel more natural, like it'll eventually not feel forced. It'll eventually not feel like work. Just like going to the gym at first feels like, oh, got to go to the gym three times a week. You have to put it in your calendar. You have to set time aside. You have to maybe let your partner know, hey, I'm going to do this thing. But then eventually just becomes part of your routine. It's the same thing with scheduling sex or intimacy. It doesn't have to be penetrative intercourse or scheduling. Schedule time for intimacy and see what happens. For sure, for sure. A lot of clients I see get caught up in the desire aspect of that. Like you said, you know, eventually it won't feel first. A lot of people think you have to feel the spark first. And it's like, no, no, sometimes you need to create the spark. (laughs) Sometimes you need to start, Mm -hmm. you know, and see what's there. And if it's not, you can always stop. You know, you don't have to force it, but like see if if it's a possibility. Like maybe you start kissing or making out or cuddling and then all of a sudden you're like, hmm. Well, I wasn't horny, but now this sounds like a pretty good idea. (laughs) That's that reactive sexual response cycle too, right? That sometimes we start getting into it. We're like, okay, yeah, yeah, it feels good. Let's keep going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just some of us have a reactive sexual response cycle and that's okay. We need to get our accelerators pushed on and then we're in the mood. Absolutely. Um, But yeah, also just the, if, if couples would just give, that prioritization, that time, that date more consistently. And then the output like happened, just try it folks, just schedule sex and just see what your results are. Cause if you scheduled sex for two months, once a week, and you are not having more sex and having more sex outside of that, call me and tell me that I suck (laughs) and I don't know what I'm doing, (laughs) but I'm not going to get a phone call. I just know I'm not. Right. So anyway. Well, Casey, this has been an awesome conversation and I want the people to be able to know how to get a hold of you. So, so tell them how they can find you. Yes. Unfortunately, right here, something happened to Casey's microphone for just a second. So I'm just going to fill in what you missed. She said, yes, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at sex coach Casey. And you can spell my name K-A-C-I. I have a website, sexcoachcasey.com. And you can email me sexcoachcasey at gmail.com. And any of those ways are great to find me. If you have a personal question, I'd suggest the email. Perfect. Don't be soliciting either of us for free advice. The free advice you got was here on this podcast. I love when people email me questions, but also be prepared for me to say, that's a great question. Let's get you scheduled for a session. That's right. Well, thank you again. And I... I wish you all the best. I really appreciated the the knowledge, the information that that you gave out today. And uh, you are welcome back on Keep Them Coming anytime. I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast and check the show notes for stuff we talked about during the episode. 
You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the Dirty Bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. Send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching, if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.